Welcome to Weekend Video. I'm Cameron Snape and I miss videos so much I opened one in my own home. Packed with the VHS tapes of the trash cinema I grew up watching at a highly inappropriate age. Every week I force my co-hosts Kira Jade Oppitz and Brody McDonald to sit through a movie for us to discuss. So come on in, have a look around, sign up for a membership. There are no late fees, but unretained tapes will be hunted down by... It's still that whale for Free Willy. Did you think I was going to come up with another bit for a part two of the same movie? In this economy? Give your tape to the goddamn whale. This is Weird Kid Video. Hello there, avid listener and such. That was kind of formal and weird, but this is part two of Highlander. So if you haven't listened to the first part, what the fuck are you doing? Go listen to it now. For those following along, part two picks up as we transition through time via a fish tank at about the 40 minute mark of the movie. Enjoy. Sometimes, McLeod, the sharpest blade is not enough. At McLeod's loft, he is sharpening his katana like a serial killer. Is that to like play into the thing how he's like lost chunks of it? No, I think it's just they needed him to do some business. Okay. Um, and looking at a book about metallurgy written by Brenda <laughs> and remembering something that Ramirez said to him. And then, oh my God, we're going to talk about this. The fish tank transition. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I thought you would notice. You never fucking noticed. You didn't see shit, did you? The fish tank transition. Okay. The, I'm going to describe it first and then we'll talk about how the fuck they did it. The camera pushes past McLeod to a fish tank. Yeah. And then it cranes up through a waterline and we are in Scotland. Huh. You didn't notice it? Again, like it's just one of those things where like those transitions are very like part of modern day. And like I feel like I just... You didn't, I just took it for granted. You didn't just, the visual, like the That's visual so cool. image. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I mean, so happy that you noticed it. It makes me so proud. I'm going to have to rewatch it. it. <laughs> I mean, I, I also noticed it. it transitioned onto the lake. Yeah. It transitions through the water. It's in the water. I mean, that was, uh, everything about that was really nice. I love that whole sequence. This is something that even when I was a child watching this movie with my dad, mm -hmm. I remember him going, wait a second and rewinding it. That's how like, like my, my dad, so I talk- I'm uh, complacent. I'm too- I'm I talk too a lot about like, I talk a lot day. about film, film technique, right? But I didn't have that in me when I was watching this movie yeah. for the first time. And my father never really noticed how movies were made. Like that's not, he, he's not like me. In yeah. That he didn't, I didn't like pass down wasn't filmmaking. wasn't technique. He didn't pass down filmmaking knowledge to me. He passed down like, you know, his love of martial arts and trash and trashy movies. Yeah. So for him to notice that shows you what a big deal that shot was. Guys, I'm sorry. I should have noticed that, but like, like how you're not laughing into tears about the fucking convenient book that she's written on fucking swords. <laughs> oh, you want, yeah, I think that that's why I didn't notice. I didn't just know get that up on hundred percent, but that was so silly. That was so fucking silly. So I, she's Brody, written a stop, book on Brody, ancient swords. Brody, Brody. I don't care. I want to talk about the shot. Okay. Okay. We're going to talk about the shot. <laughs> you can come back. Well, you can rant for 10 minutes about the book and then I'll just no, cut out. No, let's move on. Let's move on because we're coming up to my favorite sequence in the so whole film. It's an optical composite. So it's done uh, afterwards, obviously. I didn't build a set that had a lake on top of it. Um, <laughs> the way that it's done is that the camera moves into the close-up of the outside of the tank. So it's just a regular fish tank and then pans up. Later in Scotland, they repeat the move with the camera coming up 
out of a fish tank that's in the lake. <laughs> there's no wa- there's no water in it, so it's just like an empty fish tank that they put the camera in so the camera's not getting wet, Fuck. right? But what that gives them is a clean water line as they pan up. Holy shit, that's, that's cool. so genius. So the water line Damn we it. see is the water line of the water on the outside of the tank in the, in the lake. And then through a chemical dissolving process, they line the two pieces of film up and it dissolves at exactly the right time. Wow. What do you mean? Like it, as in a transition dissolves? Yes. Huh. It's, 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 a, it's a fucking dissolve. A literal dissolve. Uh, there's a there's like a split, so it's a move. I'm just dis- realizing that the the idea of a transition called a dissolve probably comes from a physical dissolve that they well, would have had it, to do on film before. It was a chemical process. Wow! It's literally like they put a chemical across two pieces. They join two pieces of film together, overlapping each other, and then they do use a chemical to dissolve. Holy fuck! A film. Of course, of course. Yeah. That shot is fucking incredible. So cool. Yeah. How, uh, how did you miss it, Brody? How? I'm so sorry. It was I, I, I can see and it now that you've described it. What's insane it. is that we could we could do remake this shot in five minutes in fucking yeah. with a mask in After Effects, an animated mask in, in After Effects. We could just do this shot. See, this is what I'm talking about. Like the reason why I don't notice it is because like, you don't it's have the commonplace com- because you're not looking at the filmmaking kind of the way that I do and because we see this shit everywhere you take it for you take it for granted yeah it's because I don't have the history that you do and the knowledge that you do that I don't understand it be so spectacular and you forget when you're watching this movie that they couldn't have done it in After Effects and therefore it has to be impressive exactly right exactly yeah. right would you like to rant about the book now uh, no I want to get on to my favourite part of the film okay on the lock just a little bit of snuff. I'm a oh, man, yeah. not a fish. <laughs> <laughs> this has got some great dialogue in it. This whole section of them, like, more, again, comedy, right? Yeah. Ramirez is trying to, like, teach McLeod about everything, and McLeod is just like, I hate you, go away. Through this yeah. whole sequence. <laughs> just let me have my life just on my little Leave me the here. fuck alone. Yeah, McLeod's complaining because he doesn't like water or boats and he doesn't know how to swim. I don't like boats. I don't like water. I'm a man, not a fish. You complain endlessly. Ramirez tells him he complains too much. McLeod tells him he looks like a woman. He dresses like a woman. <laughs> yeah, he has some snuff. He's, he's snorting some, a little bit yeah, of snuff. Yeah, has a little pinch from his pocket and then goes the fakest achoo yeah. to make him um, lose his balance. How good is the song that he's singing though? B-R-L-L Alance or whatever it is. Yeah. So and much then, fun. And then he calls him a, a haggis and Connery <laughs> responds, what's a haggis? Haggis? What is haggis? Sheep stomach stuffed with meat and barley. And what do you do with it? <laughs> you eat it. How revolting. Uh, it's so funny that he's, he's fucking Scottish. Scottish. <laughs> yeah. And he sounds Scottish. <laughs> oh. just... What is haggis? I know. What is haggis? <laughs> and then he tells him and he goes, yuck. <laughs> Oh, it's fuck. just insanity. It they really argue is. more and then Ramirez knocks him into the lock 
And he sinks to the bottom and does not die. And yeah, then he well just he goes, help me, I can't swim. He's like, swim. you're literally immortal. You're immortal. You can't die. And then, and, best. Then, and then kind of fucks around on the bottom once he realizes oh, that he can't this, die. This is my favorite scene. His laugh is like fucking just amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I honestly reckon that would have been the greatest fun to film. Yeah, so it's shot in a pool. It's yeah. shot in a diving, a diving pool that's dressed to look like the bottom of a lake. And there's literally like a dude with a rebreather like on the other just out of frame. So they Him would just, just do as much as they could. And then, prance around and, and getting he's, his and he's sword also, out. Like, he's weighted down as well. Yeah. Like he's weighted down so he doesn't float so he doesn't float up. And he just fucks around for like five minutes. Yeah, and he's like chopping the kelp and stuff. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> so good. So fucking genius. Um he tries to sneak up, he kind of cr- uh, walks out of the he walks out of the lake yeah. and tries to sneak up on Ramirez on the shore and hit him with his sword. And through the power of editing, Ramirez is then yeah. just next to him. He fully like on his neck. <laughs> Fucking misty stepped, like ninjured yeah. him, eh? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I do now, like the shot of him walking out of the lake. Yeah. Just right. looking really they did <laughs> impressed. They did a, there is a deleted scene where they built this contraption um, so that they could have uh, fish fall out of his kilt. Oh, yeah, they built a pipe right. that they could put fish into. They, the fish fell out of his yeah, kilt. Yeah, it used to be more elaborate. Uh, like, a, And so there is just one kind of shot. But yeah, there is there is like a, a pipe that they were so feeding, just keep feeding <laughs> fish into. So that, yeah, it's fucking insane. Uh, Finally a comedy. You think? They, they <laughs> at this point, McLeod now believes Ramirez that he is immortal, well, even though he's already like fucking not died once. No one knows why they're different. Connery has some really beautiful lines. Lines in this section. Why does the sun come out or or the stars just pinholes in the curtain of night? Yeah, I bumped on that. Wouldn't they have a clear understanding of the night sky by it's this time? Five eighty eighty. Three or 80, 86. Didn't they like navigate by ships and stuff like that by this time? He's just being poetic. He's just talking about like what is existence. Yeah, you know true, what I mean? True. Um has got to learn to hide his power until the time of the gathering. When only a few of them are left, they will feel an irresistible pull to a faraway land where they will fight for the prize. And it's training montage time. Yay. Oh, yeah. I love this section of the movie. I'm not going to run through through all of it, but they train with swords. They run across. They run across a beach. Oh, we, why can't we go through it? There's fucking. First of all, the scenery is fucking amazing. Oh, yeah, which is like one of the big things of this movie is like they chose the absolute correct locations to shoot, yeah. shoot all this shit. The cliff scene where they're like fighting on the cliff. Yeah, a helicopter. Yeah, helicopter stuff. One of those shots is reversed because the. I thought the frames looked weird. So they had to reverse the shot because it was unsafe for the helicopter to fly the other way because it couldn't see what it was doing. So they just flew it backwards and then, uh, well, flew the other way and then reversed the, reversed the shot so that they can actually do the shot. Sidetrack story. Yeah. Uh, about the casting of Sean Connery and his hair in this movie. Go on. How long do you think that Sean Connery was on set for the making of this movie? It's going to be a short amount of time. Closest without going over. Um, three days. A week. One week. Hey. Spot on. Yes. One week. <laughs> Should have known that was coming. <laughs> one week, $1 million. What? You fuck. When Russell Mulcahy went to go see Connery, Connery's already a little bit older at this point, right? So this is after Bond. It's already after he left Bond and then came back to do another one. Connery's going bald at this point. Connery doesn't have a lot of hair on the top of his head. And when Mulcahy meets him, they kind of talk about the role and Connery seems interested. He's warm and inviting. And Mulcahy says to him, I think this is the look we should go for you. Like, you, we should just shoot you the way you are with the baldness and blah, blah, blah. And Connery's like, no, no, no. I want to have a ponytail. I want to have, have long hair. And he never explained to Mulcahy why. But what Mulcahy realized 
later was that Connery was doing him a massive favor as a filmmaker. Connery knew that because he was only going to be on the movie a week, they would need to shoot other things without Connery. And by putting him in a, in a, with long hair and a, and a ponytail, you could put a wig on a double. <laughs> ah, Connery in his knowledge of filmmaking knew and did Russell Mulcahy a favor. The cliff shot definitely isn't Connery. There's fucking doubles everywhere. Yeah. This, the, most, a lot of this sequence when they don't have dialogue is doubles. The helicopter stuff, the wig that is on the, the double for Connor McLeod is fucking horrendous. I In the notice. HD version, it looks like he's got a fucking 80s hair metal haircut. <laughs> it is, it's nuts. There's two crew members that I want to talk about, name check and talk about in this sequence, specifically because this is the part of the movie where they have the biggest kind of co- uh, contribution, kind of. The first is the composer, Michael Kamen, who I've already kind of talked about a little bit. The score of this movie is fucking beautiful. This sequence just fucking soars and it soars because of the score. The score yeah. is epic and beautiful and romantic. There are places where it doesn't, where it's a little cheaper and it doesn't work, but during this section, it's great. The love theme is 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 incredibly yeah. incredibly emotional. And Honestly, beautiful. I thought it was Queen doing the arranging for the whole time, Bec- and then I realized later. But I thought I was like, I can't believe they're so good at this because he worked with Queen to incorporate their music, their songs into the score musically. But the score, like, I don't know, tonally, I'm not good with music, but it, it matches yeah, the Queen songs. It, so yeah. that's what they, he listened to. That heard their songs and then took he orchestrated parts of their music into score Amazing. so that it all works together seamlessly. It's a, it's incredible. The other person I briefly want to talk about because he is Sean Connery's double for all the helicopter stuff is the sword master of this movie, Bob Anderson. Okay. He OP. OG, sorry. Oh yeah. He is a fucking legend. He was an Olympic fencer who moved to Hollywood in the 1950s after his Olympic career was over. Mad. He worked with Errol Flynn. He was a stunt performer in some Bond movies, and he worked with Stanley Kubrick in Barry Lyndon. And then in 1976, he worked on a small science fiction movie called Star Wars, training Mark (laughs) Hamill. Of course. And David Prowse. Uh, David Prowse is the guy who's in Darth Vader's suit. He's obviously not the voice of the voice of Vader. And he himself is in the suit for Empire and Return of the Jedi. Hectic. Look- I will just say, I know you're about to school me with some of this shit, but to re... I think your problem is not necessarily the this, this choreography. There is, there is some things with the sword fighting within... There's some stuff where they just bang the swords against each other yeah. while the camera moves around. The reason is because things were not as choreographed the way that they used to be and because sometimes they just need to add shots. But also, like, when you think about the sword fighting, Star Wars is a great example. When you think about the sword fighting in the old Star Wars... It's done with a mentality of these are swords. Yeah. And you can see that in the way that they're handled well, and the way that they're treated. It's kind of fencing, which is yeah. what, he, what he's from. Where in the later Star Wars, not that I'm going to hold them up to be so great, you can see that the way that it's they a, use well, they the weapon. They incorporate different styles. They, they, they understand that I mean, with laser swords, you can treat them differently. That's also you know? a perfect, perfect example of how choreography is changed because the influence for the, the influences for the newer Star Wars movies and even the prequels is Asian martial arts. Mm. It's it's Chinese, it's like Wuxia. But there's and, also and thought about the world and how these devices would be used in the world and they're not just treated like traditional swords. Yeah, true, but but it but it's also because it, they're being influenced by different set of different set of films. When they made the original Star Wars, it's more swashbuckle. It's yes. fencing, which is Bob Anderson's style. But if you think about it in this movie if you have a Claymore oh, coming that, down on a katana. You were, you were about to have a, a discussion with yourself that 
every fucking YouTube channel that oh, talks about really? the has talked about. But it's like, the surely eternal debate. you're it's not going to be able to block uh, it's Claymore this, with we a had this, Literally, I'm telling you, <laughs> we had this discussion on a schoolyard, on a schoolyard in, 1980, in 1987. <laughs> uh, and I'm just, you know what? I'm just not, I just don't, I just don't care. Like, it, I don't, I, there I, is enough, I like, believe feel you. free to go home and Google as many fucking YouTube videos <laughs> where they talk about this shit as much as they want. We're yeah. not doing it on this podcast. Yeah, it's okay, not what this podcast okay. is about. No worries. Bob Anderson kept working in Hollywood for another for another 30 years yeah. after Star Wars. At one point, if your big Hollywood movie had sword fights, he's the guy that you called. He's the guy that you got in. Badass. Um, he worked on The Princess Bride. He did the sword fights in The Princess Bride. Oh, that is amazing. This movie, The Three Musketeers, the, oh, yes. um, the Phantom with Billy, see, with that's Billy, fencing. Billy Zane. Yeah, it's fencing. Yeah. Fencing Mask of Zorro, the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie, the Lord of the Rings movies. See, Cutlass, fucking it's fencing. A it's the style it's that a style. matches what he knows. Yes. His final credit was in 2006, a Spanish movie he worked on in 2006 when he was 83 years old. Wow. What he a kept, man. He, kept going. he passed away, uh, I think, about three years after that. That's a shame. But yep. also- is it not every boy's fucking dream to be called the Swordmaster? That's mm-hmm. right. <laughs> I want to be a Swordmaster right yeah. now. How do you become a Swordmaster? Um, practice. The sequence ends with Ramirez teaching Connor to reach out and feel the life energy of a stag, and he tells him that that's the quickening. And he, you hear like him feeling the heartbeats and things like that, and that plays in so well with the ending. Mm-hmm. The prize, which I, I only kind of realized after watching it the second time. Well, they don't really explain it very well. They don't. They don't. But you understand that that's the quickening and that's obviously why it ties in with the prize. Yeah. Yeah. And then we kind of get to see McLeod use what he's learned and we get a a pretty uh, a crazy kind of sweeping low shot close to the ground that kind of sweeps in the through forest. the trees and find them. Yeah. Again, I'm just going to talk about a technical thing uh, briefly. This was achieved using a Luma crane, which is a camera crane that was one of the first of its kind because it could telescope. So as well as moving upwards, up and down, it could get longer or longer, uh, cool. or, longer or shorter. And it had a remote head on the end of it, which is now what every fucking Standard. crane has and is ridiculously common. I'm not sure... If Highland is the first movie to use it, but it's definitely close. It's definitely second or third if it's not the first movie ever to use a telescoping crane like that. They used it the year that this shit started to come out. So this yeah, movie is on the cutting edge of, of what now is just like common commonplace. I mean, now we have every trick in the trick in the book. The camera movement is is so ubiquitous. But at the yeah. time, this was the they had to lug it up into the fucking Scottish Highlands to, oh, do, to wow. do this yeah, shot. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, you got to think about commitment. the fact that you're taking this brand new piece of technology that's never been used in a film before, or been used in one or two movies. That's before, mad. Into the Scottish Highlands to try and do this fucking crazy shot. It's the commitment to to the visual style of this movie. Yeah, they don't look like they're on the edge of one of those like Scottish forests. They look like they're a ways in. Yeah. <laughs> and in this scene, Connery is actually, uh, Connor actually gets Ramirez onto the ground and in a position where he can take his head if he wants, if he wants to, mm. and he doesn't do it. And then he picks him up and calls him brother. Because yeah. now they are bonded. I feel like if I was Connery in this scene, I'd be rather suspicious of what just happened because he doesn't <laughs> say anything to make him feel comfortable afterwards. He does. He calls him brother. He picks yeah, him but up like, and says, you think he'd go, I'd never cut off your head, brother. But he just, he, he doesn't say that. He's just like, come on, brother, or something like that. Oh, it's that unspoken thing between men, Brody. Yeah. That we often have in these movies. <laughs> yes. 
in the, the village that I assume is close to the tower in which they live, Ramirez and McLeod wander around while Heather is shopping at a market and Ramirez delivers the kind of bad news of being an immortal, which is that immortals can't have children and that he tells her that he should leave her because he's not going to get old and she will. And he wants to spare him that pain. Yeah, he himself has outlived three wives, including a Japanese woman whose father was a swordsmith. That's how he got the katana. Mm. And Masamune, which is actually like the great swordsmith's name. And yeah. he, he appears as a character in Highlander 3. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Connor goes and visits him in Highland and spends time with him in Highlander 3. Very cool. Yeah, even though that movie is terrible. But um, we also find out that he's 2,000 years old from Egypt. Yeah. 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 Um, the, uh, yeah. Uh, this swordsman uh, made the katana he wields and it's one of a kind just like she was. Mm. He is so awkward in this scene where they like look at her buying a chicken. Which he... Um, uh, Connor is so awkward. Like when he puts his arms out, he's like, hi, and does the like baby clap towards her. Okay. No. <laughs> and then he runs up to her and to him, gives him, gives her a hug and definitely grabs her on the ass. Oh yeah. Totally. This is, he yeah. He fills her up hard in that scene. Yeah. No need for it. <laughs> I love each other. Yeah. Okay. Squeeze. Yeah. In the tower. They're sitting up higher in the tower and they chat a little bit about the Kurgan because Connor's obviously come across him before. He's the strongest of the immortals and they need to not let him win the prize as it's going to be bad for humanity. And in the end, there can be only one. On a dark and stormy night, <laughs> Ramirez and Heather are chatting alone in the tower. Where's McLeod? Yeah, where is McLeod? Is, is he out he's in the fields? Has he gone to the shops? Went to a bar? <laughs> gone to get some smokes? Went to the movies. <laughs> Watch him. But uh, all I will say is Sean Connery telling a story from his real life. (laughs) (laughs) Climbed in through a window expecting one woman to be there and it wasn't her, but I had a good time with the woman that was there. (laughs) I feel like that was his life. The Kurgan bursts on in. He's looking for the Highlander. And very quickly in the fight, uh, Ramirez slices open the Kurgan's throat. Mm. Uh, Ramirez looks like he's the shit. Yeah, which explains his scar and his voice in the present. Yeah, I love that. Love that choice. And also uh, it's because his head is almost cut off. That yeah. The scar does not heal because it's the only way you can die if you're a Highlander. Um, uh, immortal, not a Highlander. Yeah. Um, I will just say when he busts in through the door, I loved that. I don't know how they do it, but I feel like I could see the wind in that scene where he kicks open the door and everything's well, like a, sucking out the door. There's smoke and there's a giant fan. And, oh. and so they're just creating atmosphere. Also, the wood is like clearly balsa wood. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. But I, I love all that stuff. Yeah, I, I love it too. So this sequence is fucking great because there's some like incredible practical stuff. See, this, we is, a, this is an example where it's clearly a set, but it doesn't, that doesn't feel you? like a set. You it know feels like I'm, a set. No, it it, like look, set. You, you consciously know it's a set, but it doesn't. I don't know. Maybe because it fits the the style, r- rised up level of the world. You know, I don't. Yeah, maybe, I don't know. but it definitely feels like a set. Yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> they fight up the tower steps and then start knocking stones out of the wall. This feels very Princess Bride to me. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and then parts of the the rock start kind of exploding and exposing the the sky. The entire yep. set is the entire set is designed 
so that they can do this. It's just, the set is designed for this for this fight. That's awesome. I just assumed they were doing it like after they did it and then reset and kept no. fighting. So when they're then- sitting up, when Ramirez and and Connor are sitting up on that little piece of wood and stuff, yeah, that's being held in by like two pins because it's all designed to for set members to pull shit out of it on like lines and stuff, and for it to fall apart timed yeah. with the, timed with the action. So there are crew members. With shit on what pulling wires and pulling stuff for this into for this entire sequence, it's fucking it's incredible. It and really is. The, I love wherever the Kurgan fights, he's exploding the scene. Yeah, and the sky behind them is just a painting. <laughs> nice. It's just Wild. A, it's just a painting of a of a night sky, and they are using strobe lighting to to add life to it to create light to create lightning. But it's literally just a painted backdrop. That's great. It's fucking great. I also think that this is a massive inspiration for the final, for one of the final fights in the final season of Game of Thrones. The mountain versus the hound as they're going up a spiral staircase in a tower as the tower is falling apart. Hey, yeah. I don't remember that very well. Uh, it's the one where it's like, and then Cersei walks down the steps by them. She kind of like comes across them and then goes, I don't want any of this business, and then bolts down the down, down the steps. <laughs> I don't remember that it's at like all. It's like the big confrontation that everybody had been waiting for. I, the, I dipped out of Game of Thrones pretty right, – like so. I, I dipped out of Game of Thrones on season four because that was like the end of when it was really like awesome. I think it was – I well, let's not get into how I feel. <laughs> yeah, let's such not, accent no, for a second. Yeah, yeah, let's not, no, we don't need to. The Kurgan, of course, eventually gets the better of Ramirez, and before he's beheaded – Ramirez lies and says that Heather is his woman. Mm. He cuts off Ramirez's head and absorbs his power. Yeah, the quickening causes- is weird in this one because it almost seems like it hates the Kurgan. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. it basically just, instead of glass blowing up, it just blows up the stairs that he's on. Well, lightning hits the stairs, yeah, <laughs> that he's standing on a collapse. This was fully like cartoon shit. Yeah. <laughs> Heather, who's just been cowering the entire time. The entire time <laughs> yeah, run away. Is then grabbed horror movie style, hand out of a grave. Yeah. And it is implied that she is going to be raped by the Kurgan. And we find uh, out yeah, later I hate this bit. I was, I was When she reappeared and she wasn't killed by the Kurgan, I was like, man. Yeah. Like, cause yeah, I just, yeah. Anyway. Back in the present at McLeod's building, Brenda is trying to get in, but Rachel, who is McLeod's secretary, is telling her that he isn't there. But of course he just comes down the lift to talk to her. <laughs> yeah. Um, so wait, yeah. Can we just talk about where the fuck he lives for a second? So, so the store is downstairs and that his antique store is downstairs and then he has an elevator to his loft, which is where he lives. But his loft looks like it's in like an apartment, like a high up high rise. Like yeah. it has a view because it's a set and it's a yeah it's true. A, it's literally a photo of New York outside. It's called a translight, which is an old school way of doing um, city skylines outside of outside of buildings, and it's just a giant photo. What and the translight is just so it's also designed that you can shine light through it through it. Yep, for I get night, it for nighttime scenes. Mm-hmm. So there's usually a nighttime version that has like holes in the window, so you can have like light or transparent windows so you can put light and stuff in it interesting yep she asked him about swords he asked her if she can cook because he wants to go to her house to have dinner with her surely he can afford to take her out somewhere nice and fancy yeah also like i can't decide whether that's smooth or creepy it's creepy but she still agrees to it <laughs> yeah. i mean i get that she wants to know about the sword but it's it's weird yeah also not come over i'll cook for you hey why don't you cook for me can you cook because <laughs> yeah. i'm coming to your house so you can feed me yeah at the uh, cop shop walt tells frank that brenda was in nash's store today because he's following 
McLeod around yeah. because he's still a suspect in the murder at this point. There's so much fucking shit that happens in this movie that it's that you forget like, oh yeah, that, that plot line has only moved an inch forward. This is what <laughs> I mean. Like there's so much in every scene. You just like, you just let it wash over you yeah. at some point. Yeah. That night at um, McLeod's loft, Rachel and McLeod chat. Rachel's concerned because people are asking about him and what is she supposed to say? He says, tell them I'm immortal. <laughs> and yep. then we get a smashed glass transition. I yeah, that was a lot. <laughs> to World War Two. Yep. This whole sequence is not in the American theatrical release of this movie. They just Why? cut Rachel's subplot from Aww, the whole from the but whole it's movie. It's a good subplot. Yeah, so it it's was a put, weird subplot. Well it's a good subplot. It's good. I think it's really good. It I love all the stuff that shows him through like kind of moving through time yeah. and, and making friends and enemies and all kinds of and all kinds of stuff. I kind of wish there was more of it. We spent a lot so of time in Scotland and I understand why we spent a lot of time in Scotland. I fully think but I kind of wish we jumped around through time more. I fully think this movie, this single plot could have been a trilogy. Like there are multiple movies within this movie. Yeah, I don't think it would have done it any favors. It's not the way movies were made back then. Yeah. They didn't set things up to be a franchise. They didn't use the word franchise. Yeah. You know what I mean, this movie was designed for there not to be sequels. It has a closed ending. Yeah. Look, so it really does. So <laughs> the, the, and there's, a, there's a reason that Muscle, Russell Mulcahy is like, why the fuck was there a sequel to this movie and yeah. why the fuck did I direct it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. The answer? Cocaine. And money. Um, look. This scene is great, and I and I love the the traveling through history idea of the scene, and I love that he picks up like this little girl, and and he's like, oh, I'll keep you safe. Yeah, well, let me explain explain yeah. kind of what happened. So it's during World War Two. He's running away from Nazis, and he in a bombed out building, he finds a little girl hiding. He's like in an active like battle zone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's tanks and all kinds of shit and explosions, yeah. explosions going off. And He, he doesn't sa- seem to be a soldier though. No, he's just trying to survive. Yeah. Trying to survive. And he saves her from a Nazi officer by pretending to be dead. And she asks him how he's still alive. Mm-hmm. It's a kind of magic. Mm-hmm. It's a kind of magic. It's so cute. It's, it's <laughs> this was done as a pickup shoot on a weekend. <laughs> yeah, nice. With It feels like they were having a bit of fun with it. Without permits? At an old <laughs> factory they found? Huh. <laughs> While they were shooting there, they did notice that a lot of the expo- explosions they were doing were kicking up this yellow-tinged dirt. Oh, no. And then uh, a gentleman who was kind of walking around or noticed what they were doing asked, what? What are you doing? This was a cyanide factory. Oh, no. no. A formal chemical plant where all kinds of cyanide dust was buried. There was no effect. There was no ill health to anybody. Oh, my God. I thought you were they about to say so something lucky. terrible, Ken. They are so lucky. Oh. So there, there are explosions the where there's, like, yellow dust in the air. That's, that's cyanide. That's not an effect. That's, like, oh, that's chemical residue in soil or chemical. Fuck. Yeah. Oh, my God. I thought you were about to say, like, the little girl got it. Oh, yeah, she's dead. Something like, she's oh, dead now. yeah, I thought you were about to crush me. No. Um, thank God, because the levity of the next scene really wouldn't match it. The, um, uh, whatever you say, Jack, you're the master race. Yeah, I love that. I love <laughs> that, that line. So, that was so bad, but so good. Oh, of course he had to be killing Nazis. Yeah. There had to be a point where he was killing Nazis <laughs> in this film. Absolutely. Back in the present, 
Uh, Rachel tries to talk some sense into him. It's about so cute that she got to that she stuck around and now she's his secretary. Yeah, yeah it's fantastic. Cute. It's cute until the moment where he calls her. Wait, we'll get to it. I don't, don't, don't. We're not there, and I don't want to talk about it. Sorry, sometimes I just have to stop you because it's, we're going to deal with it. Okay, okay, we're okay. We're going to deal with the thing. We're going to deal with the thing he bumped on. I wrote notes, and I was like, "This is broken." This is, this bit's going to be uh, I love you. Rachel tries to talk some sense into him about how he feels about Brenda. What? I don't know why he feels this way about Brenda, but um, <laughs> it's kind of implied that she's in love with McLeod in this scene. It is It is implied that like she more than either a has been in love with him or she is at least romantic and there's been some unspoken feelings. Well, the way that they touch each other's faces is not is a little intimate and he kisses her on the mouth. Like yeah. he kisses her, kisses yep. her before he leaves, before he leaves. The yeah. Scene. Cause I was like you, Kira, I was like, I fucking love that he picked up this little orphan and raised her like a daughter until she's old. And she's the only person that was in on his secret. And I love that. And that's cute. And then he kisses her on the mouth. <laughs> It gets weird. It gets real it's weird. It's a weird choice. It's just a weird, weird choice. And like, you, you didn't read the scene that way? Not even a little bit. <laughs> Did yeah, you pick right. up the kiss on the lips? Yeah, and I like, it, it was kind of goodbye. And Yeah, and it can it was, be explained away like that. Also, parents do kiss their children yeah. on the lips sometimes. Yeah, but they're talking about love and the way that she's talking about love and looking into dreamingly into his eyes. Like, I think it's the actress. I think the actress is putting a little bit more on it than... But than the actress isn't the one who decided and to have him kiss her on the lip. It's also entirely possible that, yeah, she may have very well fallen in love with yeah. him, just, just as all of the uh, all of the companions all to the, the doctor. Yeah. yeah, and I don't think there's the anything necessarily like, implied that they've done anything. Yeah, no, I yeah. think that perhaps there's an unspoken romance perhaps on one person's side. Could just be an emotional romance. Yes, yeah. 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 Either way, I think it was an odd choice. At Brenda's apartment, uh, the doorbell rings as she is hiding a tape recorder and a gun. Yeah. Um, it's McLeod and she's all kind of nervous and awkward. She leaves him to make a drink for himself and he spots a painting of a Scottish Highlander on her wall <laughs> and does this like little uh, eyebrow raise. Yeah. He may as well just look straight at the fucking camera and winked. Like it just, <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like there's a scene where like it has like, Connor McLeod written on a pl- nameplate at the bottom of the painting that's like not in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> or like a scene of him like being painted before the battle that's not included. Yeah. Uh, he goes straight to the gun and the tape recorder. Can he sense it? Does he just know that it's there? I think he's having a little bit of a walk around. I think around. he's having fun with this with yeah. the scene. There is a screwball comedy energy to this yeah. sequence. And again, talk about like fucking tonal shifts. Like it just become turns into this weird comedy where she's in the kitchen and he's yeah. like looking at a gun and a tape recorder and looking out the window at the cop and like fucking with her. Yeah. And then the shift where he opens up the brandy yeah. and then starts talking about like, the history that happened when this brandy was made. Yeah, it gets yeah. really serious. Like it's just. Uh, I need something explained first. So he doesn't give her his coat. And I'm assuming that's because he has his sword. katana in it. Yeah, it's good. But the, like the sword. when he fixes himself a brandy, he takes his coat off and throws it. Oh, yeah, I didn't notice that. There you go. Ah, I'm so confused. So confused about why he didn't give her his coat at the door. Yeah, it's also. Yeah, actually. <laughs> 
I I thought the same thing, and then I because they call it out, and then he throws it. Yeah, I didn't ca- I didn't notice the um the taking it off. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. weird. It's also just a weird scene because their last interaction with each other, beside the organization of this of this date, was him pulling her into an alleyway and a man trying to kill him with a broadsword. Yeah, true. But it's been so long in the movie since that happened. Yeah. <laughs> that just blew my world. Yeah, he. It's just. It's just. Such how a are they having? Sequence. How are they continuing on a conversation that is meant to be normal? And yeah. they're like walking around. She's yeah, not we like, just had a sword fight. She's not like, who the fuck was that guy that tried to take your head off? Yeah, <laughs> bizarre. Also, another weird thing that is nothing. He takes the pla- the paper bag off of yeah, the bottle that he brings the from the bottom. Yeah. Did you notice that? Okay, because thank I you. I think that's just like an ease of production thing. Because that, that is was... something that I've, I've like, I notice that every time I watch this movie. <laughs> so the paper, bag, the paper bag has no bottom. So he just pulls the paper bag off the top of the bottle. I assumed that it was an upside down, like the bag was on it upside down, not that they'd cut a hole in the bottom of the bag. Oh, that could be right. Yeah. That could also be, that could also be right. That would make more sense. It's just weird, though. It just, it, yeah, it really just hit me who as, ca- like, back to front. Who carries a bottle around? <laughs> I think you might be right, but it's yeah. still really weird. It is still really and weird. And it's something that I've noticed for forever. I'm so glad you did. It's all a ruse. He gives her a gift. Which is her own book. Yes. <laughs> and he knows that she's a cop and it's just kind of time to, okay. to let it out. So now I'll rant a little bit. Audience, for your edification, she has written a book on the a guide to ancient meto- the metallurgy. Me- metal- I can never say the fucking word. M- men- metallurgy of sorts. Anemone. <laughs> Anemone. <laughs> um, we all have words that we do. Yeah. Uh, adversity. Adversity. <laughs> Metallurgical? Fuck. Adversarial. Say it, someone say it for me, please. Metallurgy. Thank you. Uh, the history of that word for swords, for ancient swords, and she just conveniently happens to have written a whole book on this and she works for the police but department. But it's- The police need like a- Yeah, but she's a, but she's not, but she's a scientist. So she's a forensic scientist and her expertise happens to be in metallurgy. But right? she, would she work- in forensics, if she was writing books about ancient swords. Yeah, but we don't get her. We don't, unlike Connor McLeod, we don't get his, her entire <laughs> yeah. fucking history. There's a chance that when she, she wrote that book out of like college, right? Or that's like her PhD, like that was her PhD. Her thesis theory. or something. And then yeah. she's moved into forensics. So I understand. Look, I'm not, it's convenient as fuck. Very convenient. But movies are always convenient as fuck. Because otherwise there's no otherwise movie. Otherwise there's no movie, right? Um, and also it motivates her interest in swords, which is what yeah. gets them to, which is the plot machination that gets them together. I, for a moment, when I first saw that he gave her the book, I was like, wait, is that not her book? And then when she got angry, I was like, is she angry that he gave her her own book? And then I realized, right, okay, it calls you out for being an actual cop. I'm an idiot. Yeah. So, yeah, they do. She's interested in the murder, not really interested in the murder at all. Yeah. She's only interested in the sword. because <laughs> the, the best. Because the sword doesn't make sense because it shouldn't be as old as it is. It's like discovering a 747 a thousand years before the Wright brothers flew. Is, mm. her, is her line of dialogue. So, wait. Why can't the sword exist? Because the technology to create the sword, the metal is dated older than than the technique technique used to to fold the metal two hundred times. The sword was invented. So, how did he make the sword? Well, the the Masamune did, who was a genius for the time and and made him a one of a kind sword. 
And also, as we will find out in Highlander 3, is a sorcerer. <laughs> yes. I can't okay. wait. It's also about planning clues for the fact that she's stumbled onto immortals. Mm. Nash leaves her and we hear Ramirez telling Connor he must leave her, which is a line he said earlier. Mm. In this instance, it's in relation to Brenda. And we flash back to Scotland. Heather and Connor look at the remains of the tower as the Queen song begins to play. It fucking hits every time, man. And we see a sequence of quick scenes of their lives as she begins to age past him and become an old woman. This sequence fucking destroys me. Yeah? Yeah. I feel it's it too. It's so romantic and, be- and beautiful. Yeah. And the, with the music, it's one of the, again, it's that connection of music and imagery together. Oh, it just fucking kills me. The, the point- idea that he never left her. Yeah. The idea that he stayed with her knowing what would happen and accepting it because of how much he loves her. It's just, it fucking breaks my heart. Dude, there are two points that really hit me in this sequence. The first is when he can't, he rides in as if he's been somewhere yeah. and and, she, and he like looks for her and then looks down the hill and she pops up in the frame as an older woman carrying the lamb. Oh. I was like, my man, he mm-hmm. stayed there for love. Yeah. I fucking love that. Oh, and when she's on her deathbed yeah, and she says, I would have had your kids. That, that hit me a little bit. Yeah. I was like, oh, fuck. I'm so sorry. Blossom, <laughs> no. Yep. Cinema, motherfuckers. Yeah. It's just, it's just, yeah. yeah. Um, and he sits with her as she, as she dies and she asks him to light a candle to remember her on her birthday. It breaks my cold stone heart. Yeah, it just it is very cute. Yeah. It's beautiful. And then he describes to her like, well, she's slipping away and then carries her to her burial place. I love that. Well, to a funeral pile. He burns her. Yeah. 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 yeah kills me. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Why is it? Why? Why are these things? Because it's like, it's not like one of those scenes that like actually are tear jokers, but it is so sweet. I honestly think it's the, like half of it, more than half of it is the song. And we actually have the chemistry as well. Oh, yeah, because they have, chem- they have yeah, chemistry. Yeah, they together. really do. Yeah, I don't give a fuck about Brenda and Connor. Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. Guess what? The sequel doesn't either. <laughs> um, back in New York, another immortal, Castagir, meets McLeod in Central Park. Mad name. On I want to know uh, where that's from, Castagir. Yeah, I'm not sure. On the Bow Bridge. Uh, it's been 100 years since they saw each other. They do this cute <laughs> little thing where they both go to pull something out of their coat, like they're going to pull swords on each other. Mm. And Connor pulls nothing, but Castagir pulls a bottle. Yeah, <laughs> And I they have that. a drink together. Because it's the time of the gathering. Yeah. Can you believe it? Here we are. We made it this far. Feels like 100 years. It has been 100 years. <laughs> Castagir thinks they should have a party, and McLeod reminds him of the last time they had a party. And we get a flashback of McLeod <laughs> in a jewel ever. on Boston Common. This feels Drunk like out of his gourd. This feels like it's lifted straight from uh, 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 not Serenity, uh, Firefly, where he's where what? Captain Reynolds is doing the the jewel. Nope. No? Do you guys not watch that show? Yeah. Yeah, I've, um, um, yeah, I've seen. On it. the Mudder's Planet. Oh fuck you guys. <laughs> anyway, I've seen um, that show. That scene does not. I don't remember it at all. Yeah, it's been a lot of years. (laughs) This scene hints at another movie that was inspiration for this movie, Ridley Scott's first film, The Duelists. 
about two Napoleonic, uh, Napoleonic era soldiers that fight a series of duels over the course of many, many years. Pump the brakes. Has that been remade just recently? No. What am I thinking of? Uh, there is a movie called uh, Duel that came out recently about a woman who fights a clone of herself. No, no, no. It was about, like, I swear it was like Matt Damon or something. No, that's The Last Duel. Oh, The Last Duel. Which is also directed by Ridley Scott. That's a completely yeah. different movie. Okay. Also, great movie. <laughs> yeah, you've told me I think I should watch that, yeah. I love The Fucking Duelist. The Duelist is great. Every scene is like a fucking French, lit like a French Renaissance painting. It's Mad. gorgeous and it's funny. The only thing that's a little weird about it is they cast kind of two Americans as the as the Napoleonic French guys. That doesn't bother me at all. I mean, considering this movie. Um, yeah. One of them is Harvey Keitel. Like he's so New York, it's unbelievable. Why do I know that name? Harvey Keitel. Because it's Harvey, Harvey Keitel. Keitel. <sighs> I'm going to have to look him up. I know that name. We're going to keep moving along. Gregory Wyden, he saw this movie and it was what gave him the idea for the, for huh. Highlander. <laughs> the idea of taking that story and expanding it over centuries. Yeah. Right. So two dudes fighting each other endlessly. That's sick. And that's that, not and what happens in this movie. Though. That's not what happens, but it is the seed. It's the seed, right? Yeah. It's like that guy saw a movie and then decided to uh, to – take that idea and extrapolate it as well as a trip he took to England where he was in a room, a museum room where they had armor from all these different kind of centuries. Yeah. And then he thought, what if that belonged to one guy? Yeah. And what if that one guy had worn all that armor? So you're saying that the dumb childish thoughts that I have where I go places. Yes. Could be seeds for movies. They could. (laughs) If you could ever finish writing anything. Yeah, that's fucking get Fuck off. That was way too close to the bone. Bone. (laughs) I hate you guys. Yeah. I didn't say anything. (laughs) I see you smirking over there. (laughs) I was laughing because of your reaction. I didn't do anything. Uh, you leave my wife out of this. <laughs> you stay away from me. That was too real. <laughs> I love you, Bernie. I love you too. But uh, like that duel. What the yeah, fuck? It's a really that, fun, man? It's such a fun scene. The man he's dueling, his name is Bassett, is uh, trying to fight off his man. He's very handsy. I love his manservant. Why does he shoot him at the end? He's trying to. Well, he's, he <laughs> get, is he just frustrated? Yeah, it's frustration. Wait, wait, wait. Can we go through the yeah. scene for the audience? So he's trying to. He's the manservant is egging Bassett on and also trying to kiss him. And I love then it. he repeatedly stabs uh McLeod, <laughs> who's drunk as shit and just keeps on lets getting back getting, him, yeah. lets, keeps on getting back up. And then eventually uh apologizes to the man and says and says like, well that's the end of that's the kind of end yeah, he of goes, that. I'm sorry for calling your wife a drunken <laughs> hog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then like a, a drunken whore or something like that. And then laughs as he's apologizing. Yeah. And walks off. And then yeah, the man Bassett takes out his frustration on his manservant by shooting him. The servant's name is is Hopkins, which is kind of an in joke. Also, this scene was cut out of the him shooting the assistant out of the American was cut version. Out of the American version. I don't get it either, though. Like, why did he? Is it because he was apologized to, and the manservant was still trying to get him to mean, shoot him? Maybe I don't know. It's just one of the. They just made a bunch of trims out of it. Yeah. I think they're just trying to bring the time down. But that manservant, man, there are so many people in this movie that. Just us swinging for the fences in their little bits that they have. Yep. The cop that uses the hard F. Yeah, he's, he's acting, man. He's, he's, he's trying he's, real hard. Yeah. 
Uh, back to back to Hopkins. One of the second unit directors of this movie, there was a couple of them because they shot all over the place, but one of them is Stephen Hopkins, another Australian director who would go on to direct A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5, The Dream Child. Shut up. You're doing this on purpose. Predator 2, Judgment Night, The Ghost in the Darkness, the big budget Lost in Space movie from the 90s. And then he transitioned into TV directing in the early 2000s, where he worked on 24 and some other stuff. And in 2007, he directed the pilot episode of Californication. Hectic. Wow. Okay. Who who was that? What was his name? Stephen Hopkins. Stephen Hopkins. He's another director who's- What name, a boss. He's another director whose name I recognized over many, many, many years. Yeah. And I'd go, oh yeah, that guy keeps on popping up. And I like quite a few of his movies. The movies that I listed are the movies of his that I really like. He, um, he made some other movies. What was the first one you listed? Nightmare on Elm Street, part five. Yeah, are you trying to put that or Freddy into every single podcast? No, there's just connections. Yeah. I mean, I mentioned fucking John Wick on every podcast. Yeah, that's true. You know, not so much. <laughs> that's less just, subtle though. <laughs> yeah. I, I do try to build connections between things because- I was thinking about this the other the, day. It's like, I think that there is a, there's a consistency and through line in things that I like, right? And I followed those through lines through- people and uh, creative people who are usually directors yeah. or crew or stunt performers or or composers or the people that are involved in the making of movies. There's a commonality of people and connections between people in the movies that I like. That's why you're so fucking good at Six Degrees of Separation. Yep. Um, I don't know about you, but I, like, I was starting to think the other day that I feel like even though Ken hates Marvel, he's... I think he's putting Easter eggs throughout this whole podcast to like there will eventually get a point where like he'll start pulling out bits from every podcast and it will like make its own podcast or something like that. I like think that's, that that's <laughs> it's, it's entirely how I build things. <laughs> I feel like because I definitely I know how you do D and D games. It's the way that I build D and D. Yeah, and it's also the I look at the I look at this podcast as a narrative that I am that yeah. I am telling, yeah. and I draw connections and I do set things up in episodes, knowing that I'm going to pay them off in other episodes. Do you? Yeah, absolutely. Ah, I love that. Yeah. I think about it that much. That's what I think about this way too much. I like fully was like, I bet there's going to be like numbers. He said at certain times that like (laughs) make out a fucking code. It's just creating threads that we can, that we can follow. Right. So because it, because I feel like it adds another level of, it adds another level of enjoyment and consistency because you can follow the thread of me talking about a movie and the connections between the people that made that movie between podcasts. And then, and then I will, Pay things off. Pay things off. This is why I'm really excited for our first like sequel of one of that we've done on the podcast. Mm. Like I know it probably won't happen for a while, but I would love that. The N in Highlander is a lightning strike. Uh, on the cover of on the, the cover of the VHS. VHS. Yes, it is. We got to keep moving because uh, we're we're going to run out of card. Okay. <laughs> At least mine was on topic. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I cannot fault you, my love. Uh, also, if I was a mortal, I would stay with you forever. <laughs> Back with the Kurgan in his sleazy motel, as he's leaving, the TV's talking about the headhunter the police are still trying to catch. They're trying to kind of imply that there's been other immortals fighting each other in the yeah. city because there's been more bodies and stuff. I thought it was just the Kurgan. Uh, yeah, it kind of is, but but I get the impression that they're trying to do that. There is a lost scene for this movie from earlier where the Kurgan fights a Mongolian immortal that's working as a security guard in an office building. Dope. It was cut from the film before release, so it, never, it was never in a release version. And the original negative of it is 
gone, like destroyed. Uh-huh. So the only thing that exists is black and white behind the scenes photos. Somebody a few years ago turned them into a GIF <laughs> to try and show how the scene would have worked in worked in action. Yeah. And it kind of works. It doesn't it doesn't really work. It's floating around on Reddit. If you search high, if you go to the Highlander Reddit, Mad. you'll find you'll find it pretty Aye. easily. The Kurgan threatens the hotel clerk. Then we cut to a vigilante gun nut <laughs> driving around the city in his car. Okay, Kira, did you think this was another immortal? No. The Uzi guy? I don't uh, think so. Also, just oh. because I I realized from talking to my Beautiful fiance. An Uzi is a submachine gun that's like handheld. <laughs> if anyone doesn't know what that is. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I was going to name check that. Uh, I was going to say, of course, it's a fucking Uzi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Uzi is also the name of the man who invented the weapon, who's an Israeli guy. Yeah. Yes. Um, but I yeah. just know stupid things. So you guns. assumed that this guy wasn't an immortal? Well, when I saw it, I thought I saw it. When I, when I saw him pack the Uzi, I thought I saw a sword. And I thought, oh, this is like a modern immortal who has is packing a gun and a sword. It wasn't that, but no, never. It's a it's a like anti-communist gun nut who's yeah. vigilante <laughs> who's roaming around the city looking for the headhunter. Ah, that's why he's out there. That's why he's out on the on the town because there's somebody roaming around town cutting off people's heads. Yeah, and he's going to stop it. <laughs> yeah. he's the Charles Bronson in Death Wish of this movie. <laughs> He comes across uh, Castagir and the Kurgan fighting in an alleyway. This is another scene that was shot in two different countries. He's driving through New York, but everything in the alleyway is London. Mm-hmm. Is it the same alleyway from London that we saw earlier? Different alleyway. <laughs> also, is it just me or is Sergeant Zim a fucking giant? Yeah, he's a big man. Yeah. He's a big, imposing tall man. <laughs> yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, the gun nut watches and then kind of yells out at them to stop and they kind of don't. And then the Kurgan takes Castigir's head off. Then the gun nut unloads on the Kurgan. He goes to check the body and the Kurgan stabs him, lifting him up and impaling him on his broadsword before kind of tossing him and starting to absorb Castigir's power. That's fucking dope. And the energy causes all of the windows in the alleyway to explode. Do you notice a cut on the shadow on the wall? No, I didn't notice that. There's a a little bit where his shadow is on the wall and from the glowing it's like projected mm. and there's a little like it's almost like they've played the same couple of scenes twice okay i didn't i didn't particularly notice that i was paying much more attention to the fact that they used real glass holy fuck Ow. because those well there's nobody standing there it's a it's a dummy standing okay. in the alleyway for the kurgan but uh. those buildings were about to be gutted to be turned into apartments they're about to be remodeled Dope. so the production was allowed to blow out the real windows which were victorian double glazed glass <laughs> yeah that's wild apparently the explosion was so big that like people heard it suburbs over boroughs <laughs> over and called, the, and called the cops oh no because they had to use so much explosive to blow the windows yeah yeah oh no the, that's that is police call. i mean the hero shots of glass exploding in this movie oh, yeah. great i yeah. love it i fucking love it with smoke and light behind yeah, it you're kidding it's me so good there's an also an old couple in a car that stops and watches the scene yeah. that's happening in the alleyway the man in the old man in the car is frank ducks do you know the name frank ducks i'm curious brody mm, no but i think the boxer that jean-claude van damme meets in the quest is called frank ducks well that is a reference yeah you're you're on the right path you're so close Fuck. you don't even know how close Damn you are it. yeah he's a martial artist um that's life story was turned into a jean-claude van damme movie shut the fuck called up blood sport what oh my god i'm the greatest also 
He made that story up and none of the shit that he said happened to him happened to him. <laughs> oh, what a legend. <laughs> Almost everything that Frank Dux has said about his life is absolute fucking and bullshit. And that's actually him in the and car. And that's actually him in the Fuck car. Fuck yeah. It's absolute fucking bullshit. He said he was what like a, a man. said he was a war veteran. He said he went to he trained under this master that he could never have trained under, that he won a Kumite. <laughs> a oh, Kumite. Yeah. Kumite. Well, that's from blood that's from Bloodsport, right? Yes. Yeah. And it's all bullshit. It's all absolute bullshit. That's him in the car that the Kurgan throws out. The Kurgan steals the car with the old lady in it. Mum. Yeah. <laughs> I love his whole vibe. Like he's, he's so just fun. a punk. He's just chewing scenery. Yeah, like, he, he really just, is, man. Uh, he's swinging for the fences in every little bit he does. We've had a good run of, of che- uh, scenery chewing villains in the movies yeah. that we've watched. Often yeah. the villains are way more interesting than the, than the heroes. Is but it, that's also a style of the time. Is it something about these kind of lower budget films where the directors don't hem in the side characters because in these low budget films, it's not just the villain. It's the, it's the filler like cast that swing for the fences. It's just directors taking risks. Yeah. It's just directors with so much less, um, so much less studio control. Yeah. Like it's harder for the studio to control. There's no, they can't watch shit remotely the way that they do now. So they'll include shit on an edit. They're just, they're they're just like, yeah, that's dope. They're just out there doing it. Right. Producers sometimes don't see stuff until they see dailies. Yeah. Like two days later, the scene in the bar earlier where, where um, Connor harasses Brenda, the producers were so angry that, um, that Russell McKay had, had had the cinematographer light it with all that backlight and smoke because they were like it looks like a music video it doesn't look real it doesn't look yeah, real it does kind of look like, like what a music are you doing? video they were mad with him because of that and it's like are you guys watching this fucking movie <laughs> yeah because um, he's gonna do that the whole movie it's gonna be great he takes her for a ride uh across the city and we go from the alleyway in london to new york with a stunt woman on the front of the, on the front of the car <laughs> detective frank still has no clues and they are interviewing the gun nut at the hospital who is somehow still alive even though he got yeah how is he still alive he got uh, the same same cut that Connor did because plot yeah yeah they show him a picture of McLeod slash Nash and it's not him and they ask him to sit with a police artist to do it to do a sketch we cut to a headline I love this newspaper headline Headhunter three cops zero <laughs> <laughs> just makes me laugh every time Walt and Frank are talking shit at a hot dog vendor. Yeah. And the hot, even the hot dog vendor is giving them shit that they can't catch this guy. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And at, the back and forth is like, I didn't even answer the phone anymore. Why do I even go into work? Yeah. At a library, Brenda is investigating Nash's birth certificate and ends up talking to a doctor who was there at Nash's birth. Yeah, some and of this investigative work work is a bit of bullshit. It's a little bit of shoe leather. What's funny is that we're like we're basically in the third act of the movie, yep. and they're still putting down like clues and things to kind of pull this all together. There is like a ton of like tiny scenes through this sequence that kind of just move the plot forward ever so slightly forward to try to get to where we need to get at the end. But really, we're already in the back. We're like in so yeah. far in the back half of the back part of the movie, like. We don't need these scenes with the fucking handwriting or anything like that. Like we're so far, we're so like as an audience, we've already accepted that he's immortal. So like she should almost be there. We already know everything, right? Yeah. So we are ahead of her and I don't think these scenes are bad. I just think that, I just think that she's catching up to where the audience already is. Yeah. And it's like, well, we could just get to the. End. Yeah, we, we can, can get, to, get to the, we can get to the pre love scene. Yeah, so yeah, she talks to a college that's tracked down the deed to Nash's house and finds that through the years it's been passed down 
through a bunch of different names. And uh, for every name that's been passed to, there's a death certificate for a child that died in childbirth in the same at the same age. And he uses a you know some neato computer graphics to match the signatures of all the different people to. Uh, that is some bullshit. Yeah. So Connor finds a baby that's died and takes the baby's name, the baby's name, and leaves everything to the baby. So he leaves it to himself. He leaves it to himself. Right. And then it, so and that then he can move down through identity. time and assume different names and identities and pass his assets down. Right. So he time. finds a baby that, that leaves his assets to the baby, then becomes the baby. Yes. Right. Okay. But, but also like... But the baby is dead. Back then, documents are physical. So it's easy to... You can't, you can't just do a search and find somebody's birth and death certificate, right? So if there's a, a birth certificate the death certificate might not even be held in the same place. Right. So it takes work to figure out that the child died. Right. The police sketch of the Kurgan is out in papers. And then we get to the church scene. Fuck, this is the equal best scene in the film. It is one of the best scenes. Yeah, there are movie. three sequences in this film that are fucking amazing. Yeah. It's the underwater scene and the training montage. This and the end. I like that this many years later he's still lighting a, a candle for, for, for his her, for his love. Yeah, yeah me too. He, he's at the church to light a candle because it's her birthday and he asks Ramirez to look out for her as well. Mm. The Kurgan arrives and they have their first conversation in the whole movie. Yeah. This is the first time they've talked to each other. Um, I love this. This is our um, Hans pretending he's a civilian moment yeah, it's where just they can the, talk to each it's other. It's just the two of us now. And he's bald because he's in disguise. <laughs> oh, but because I, the sketch you're is You're not going to look at him. Because the sketch is out. I love the way that he does that line reading. It's just, I'm in disguise. Mm, no yeah. one will see me. Like, it's so good. Who cuts your hair? I am in disguise. This way, no one will recognize me. And he has bobby pins he all through the, the scar. He chews so the good. whole fucking cathedral down in this yeah. scene. Oh, fuck, he's good. Yeah. He reveals to Connor that he raped Heather. Well, I don't think we said earlier as well the reason why they can meet in the church is because they can't fight on holy ground. Yeah, so it's one yeah. of the rules. One yeah. of the rules. And it's never explained why they can't fight on holy Just ground. Just tradition, they yeah. said, yeah. yeah. After McLeod leaves, a priest comes over to the Kurgan because the Kurgan's making too much noise. And the Kurgan asks him for familiar, for forgiveness. I am a worm, he says. <laughs> he and then he licks, licks his, his hand. hand. So gross. Cut out of the American version. Oh, really? The lick. That. The lick. Come on. Licking, was, when he was priest. walking away and he like gives the father like a pat on the face as he's walking away, I was like, he just broke that priest's mind a yeah. little bit. Like that was wild. And he quotes a Neil Young song called My My Hey Hey, It's Better to Burn Out Than to Fade Away. And he does the most fabulous spin. The fabulous spin. So Russell McKay talks about the fact that they were able to do this scene in a real church. It is in England. It's not, again, it's not America. Almost all of, every time they're inside, right, it's it's London. The reason they were able to do it is because this church was in disrepair and didn't have a large, (laughs) a large amount of people coming to it. And they needed the money. Nice. Money Just does how everything. This, how this, they were able to do it. Okay, he's like, I kind of feel bad about what we did in that church. <laughs> Apparently Clancy Brown, even though he gives like the fucking performance of a lifetime, yeah. the offensive performance of a lifetime, felt really bad about about having to do this in a church. 
I don't think he should, but also, like, that's nice and respectful. Yeah. I love just last thing yep. when he's walking out, he like goes to walk straight down the aisle, but the door's on the right. So he like goes and then gets like, oh, fuck. And then turns around and goes <laughs> to the side. So yep. such a good little detail. Brenda confronts Nash and he takes her upstairs to his loft, to his vault, which that set was designed so that Malkai can do this shot. <laughs> like he designed the set around the idea of this shot, which is where the camera comes straight down mm. through like the, the kind of roof and then does this like circular spin following her as she as she walks around. That's wild. He lays it all out for her and of course she doesn't believe him. So he hands her a dagger and then pulls her hand so that she stabs him. And then he, of course, does not die. Would he die from that wound? I mean, I feel like it should have been in the heart. Yeah. It feels like it's lower. Yeah. And she's like... That's hot. Let's get it on. Yeah. I feel like this is the scene that explains his back, explains that he's immortal, explains why he sounds weird, and then. Does not explain why they're together. Does not explain why they have sex. Yeah. yeah you're very. It's the very thing the movie accurate. is like the least amount interested in, but they need to have like a modern, they need to have a romance and a love interest, like in the current day stuff. This is there where. There needed to be any flirting before this for need, it exactly. to make sense. This is <laughs> where the lack once of chemistry it, is so apparent. Yeah, no chemistry. And then once again, he pulled her into an alleyway where a dude tried to cut their head off. They had an awkward date where he uh, confronted her about her ruse. Yeah. They then... Basically blamed her for being weirded out by the sword fight. Yep. And then and then he tells her that he's immortal and now they're in love. Yeah, And this love scene is no weird sense. too. There is so much ass in this love scene. <laughs> There's a lot. <laughs> you know what? I wasn't really going to talk about it because it just go, kind of goes on for a little bit too yeah, long. Yeah, it's so long. Yeah, and we cut from them fucking to a lion roaring in a cage. Yeah. Why? Why? This is the most mind-bending part of the movie. Why lions? Where are they? They're in the Prospect Park Zoo in Brooklyn. I. And, and Why did they come I was there? Like, I was like, that's how they used to keep fucking lions in a zoo. Yeah, just wild. In a concrete cage. Like, yeah. it's fucking Tiger King bullshit. Yeah, that is it's fucked fucking up. fucking dark. But I don't in understand a, what it has to do with the New fucking York, movie. In a New York summer? Yeah. Lions in a cage? Like oh. that? Yeah. Yeah, it's real bad. It's 1986. I mean, I get that that's a long time ago now, but Jesus Christ. It's not a long time ago, though. Yeah. It's not that, like not we, It's a long we, time ago, we, but it's not a long time ago. We, yeah. we knew better than that at that yeah. point. Yeah. He doesn't want to get involved with somebody again. She's like, that's okay. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After she was just in love with him. Yeah. This part of this is the part of the movie that, you're right, this is the, I love this movie. There's lots of like junky stuff where things don't connect, but that's because of like style and plot and everything else, and yeah. that really matters. But this is the part where it's like, yeah, this just does not work. This yeah. is this, this is the part. This of the is movie the most mundane work. part of the movie, but this is the part that feels like they jumped the shark the hardest. Yeah, <laughs> like there's and no I don't reason think they for needed it. it. Like, okay, yeah, fine, you wanted to have a modern romance, but I don't think you needed it. No, like, you well, could, you need somebody to. What? Well, here's the thing: is I think Rachel. The, I think the logic, yeah, Rachel, right? I think the logic is we need somebody to help us reveal his backstory. But the fucking movie reveals his backstory with all the flashbacks. Yeah, like it feels like a double up. Like it, it feels like a double. It's not double beating because they're not repeating the same information. But we, it just doesn't. It really to, doesn't. What make would sense. make so much sense is have the love that he had chemistry with 
be his only love mm. and he still pines for that love and he misses that love. But then and then there's Rachel, it. this daughter-like figure that loves him in the modern day and wants him to be safe mm. and that's all we needed. Yeah. yeah. Movies just had this thing where they needed to be a love story and they needed to be a love interest. It's like studios and but writers it had and everybody. Three. Yeah, I know that. But but within Four the, almost. Yeah, I know. It's the same, it's the same thing as Braveheart where – the re- thing that motivates William Wallace is the death of his one true love, and he still fucks the French princess. Yeah, you know what I mean? like, that's so true. Like it's so true. It. Hey, bro, you don't need it. Yeah, no. Secret Kogan. No. Oh my oh, god. Oh yeah, no shadow figure in the background. Kogan is yeah. in the background watching them through the whole scene. He's shadow lines. He's shadowed in an arch in an archway. I while did they're talking not to the see lines. that. <laughs> Secret Kogan. Secret Kogan. Secret Kogan. She tells him not to lose his head. And good luck on all his future endeavors. Yeah, that's said a couple of times. That's, I mean, in this world, that would be a poor taste joke to make. Yeah. <laughs> At her apartment, the Kurgan grabs her after forcing his way. Now, this is actual fear. More. This sequence is actual fear. And actually, I'm going to elevate this. This is also one of the best sequences in this movie. Well, it's all wide angle and it's got crazy red lighting and... Did you hear the line of dialogue she says when she's in? She runs inside, closes the door, and then the Kurgan's outside before he bursts in. She says, "Help me, mummy." She no. has like a childlike, no, like a, like a fear reaction where she calls out for her mother before the Kurgan bursts in the door. That's fantastic. It's so low in the mix. Malkahi mentions it on the on the commentary. Huh? Yeah, that's fantastic. It's just it's just such a great piece of. It's such a shame that you can't hear the line of dialogue. On the Blu-ray, it's subtitled as her saying Mamma Mia because the mm. subtitler, the caption person, clearly couldn't hear it properly. Yeah. Mm. I, this whole sequence from him chasing her into her apartment and then in the car, that's next, right? Yeah. that yep. This whole sequence is wild. I love it. He's such a scary dude. Yeah, I love a, it. He's a fucking madman. So he drives her across New York on the wrong side of the road. Uh, they obviously did multi-camera. There are shots when you can see a camera car with crew members on it uh. <laughs> all the way through. See, this is what I'm getting at as well, where it's like it feels like a blockbuster because in the amount of things that they destroy in the film. Fast and dirty. Yeah, it's okay. a different time. It's a different time period. Okay, he also talks about the fact that he doesn't really like this sequence because he thinks he could have done a better job at shooting it because they had to do it so rush. I I actually agree that the the cinematography of this film is not great. The in car stuff is amazing. Cinematog- cinematography is incredible in this movie. But like, I feel like they. They, they, it's not a. I feel like shots a, are almost repeated, even though they're not. It's not you know a massive. I mean? It's not a massive budget movie, so they're having to. Also, the producers notoriously cut corners and at every step of the way. Like Makahi is fighting the producers to get oh, okay. the time he needs to do things. So the fact that this movie looks as good as it does is fucking miraculous. The the in car the in car filming and the acting by uh, Clancy Brown and our love interest is fucking great. She's going crazy. He's going crazy in a different way. It's it's brilliant. And coming from that scene of actual fear in that apartment where this giant man is chasing this woman and he's not just a regular giant man, he's a fucked up, like, punk version of himself. And then to go straight into the car where he's doing uh, chicken... And straight up running people over. One of the people he runs over? Russell McCahey. <laughs> awesome. But it's it's, the He's intensity like of the scene is, is amazing. They make their way across across the Queensboro Bridge as the Kurgan starts singing New York, New York. 
So good. And then the Kurgan kind of, she screams and then he screams and it transitions to Freddie Mercury doing a version of New York. I was about to say, the queen coming in on this was amazing. Yeah, and he points out to her where they're headed, which is the Silver Cup Studios building and its iconic neon rooftop sign that will obviously... Is it iconic in New York, is it? Yeah, because it's, it's, because it's a big red neon sign on a building. Kind of like a, it's a real, Coke it's a, it's sign in, in King's Cross. Cross yeah. Yeah. It's, a real, it's a real place. It's a real studio. Parts of the Godfather Part 2 were shot there. It's a working studio. It's huh. a working studio space in space in New York. Cool. At home, McLeod listens to an answering message from the Kurgan. <laughs> Did just, they just, just have his number? <laughs> yeah, he just got his number. Does he know where he lives? Yeah, he must, right? Just rock up to his house at some point. Rachel's there too, and he tells Rachel that he's left her everything she needs, and He's not coming back even if he wins, which is clear. He needs to move on from being Russell Nash. Um, He hugs her and leaves, and we get a reply to the line. It's a kind of magic. Mm. Sweet. And then we get to the rooftop of Silver Cup Studios. You know how we were talking about uh, Tekken the other week? (laughs) This is a Tekken level? This is a fucking Tekken fight. You know how we were describing it? Yeah. Yeah. This scene was shot in both New York... On location and in a studio in London. Wow. (laughs) Every time you see the neon sign from behind, it's the real sign in New York. And every time you see the neon sign from in front, it's a one-third size replica built in a studio with the rooftop and everything and models in the background. They shot the entire sequence twice, except for the back half, obviously, for for obvious reasons. Yeah. So when they're climbing up the real the the sign and you can see the back of the sign, that's New York. And when you can see the front of the sign, it's a studio in in London, and it's all intercut together. The I won't say of, seamless, but it's seamless. The idea of trying to shoot a sequence this way. Now I'm pretty sure they just doubled everything. They just yeah. shot everything one way, and then they, in this studio they shot everything the other way. But the idea of trying to cut that together, what do we use where? Oh, yeah. fucking hurts my head. It hurts my head. And also from the front. It's a one-third size replica. The sign is smaller from the front than it is from the from from the back, and you never notice. You never notice. So, yeah, that's fucking true. Except when you see when the sign is falling and you see her on the sign. It's still see, huge. The letters are still huge. Yeah. yeah, but you do get a sense of it being a model just because it it's is not clearly a, not her. But it's, yeah, it is. It's not a model. That's, there's no models in this sequence, Brody. The front half? The front half is not a model. The collapse, it's all real. Oh, bullshit. Nope. We're going to talk our way through it. Wow. Please do. Yep. So the Kurgan has Brenda handcuffed up on a gangway behind the sign. You can just see her safety <laughs> you line. You can just see her safety yeah, line the, the whole, whole time. time. Yep. Even in the shitty VHS. <laughs> in the, even in the VHS because it's got specular highlight on it. So you can just see that she is wired to the thing so that she can't <laughs> fall. McLeod climbs up, uh, climbs up. The Kurgan appears. They fight. There's sparks everywhere. It's so a, good. It's a really great fight. How are they doing these sparks? Uh, same exact same technique. Wild. Yep. The Kurgan falls through a part of the gangway that kind of breaks off and ends up on the floor and just starts hacking at support beams. This is so good. It's, this sequence is just so... Nobody does shit like this anymore. Oh. Like, nobody does things just, like this anymore. This is what I was going at with the, like, spatial awareness. Just having... Fuck, that feels like so long ago now. <laughs> <laughs> it's been 84 years. <laughs> I say, um, that, I say that too often. But, like, the fact that there is this physical 
feel to this set and it's going to change and it's not just fighting around this space is so good. The the fact that it's a real location and then you cut to the other side and it's a studio and it it just just blows my mind. So because the front is the studio... That's the only shots where you see it falling. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. So McLeod um, slides down a wire to get to the Kurgan and almost goes over the edge of the edge of the building. The Kurgan going nuts goes even more nuts, and neon letters begin to spark as McLeod runs over to stop him. The letters just begin to fall off yeah. the off the sign because he's spinning around chopping the bottom. Chopping beams. the bottom. Yeah. One of them hits a water tower, which collapses, and then floods the roof causing half of the structure of the sign to collapse. It's not the part that Brenda's on. That's all real. Wild. It's all real. It's so cool. And they're fighting the whole time. Like they're just, it's doubles at this point, but they're fighting in the water as the sign's coming down. That's, this is the thing. Like there's, it, no, it mo- there's no models. It progresses from a real sign that they climb up to have a little bit of a skirmish in. One falls, the other chases. One starts destroying the sign. Bits of the sign starts falling. One hits over the water tower. The whole roof gets flooded. Also, it's a fucking one-shot deal. Oh. They got one take because the, they destroy that sign. They have to rebuild it to do it again. Wow. So it's one take with like fucking so many cameras on it. It would, I didn't it take would be, surely it would be a step-by-step demolition process, right? It's just, so they're just pulling it down with cables. Yeah. So and they go, okay, pull this down now. And then they film like a bunch of stuff. No, 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 section. no. This entire sequence from the water falling when it's flooded to the sign when it half the front half of it the mm. like because one yeah, half goes yeah, and then the yep. other half that's all one sequence that's not in pieces that's all just multi camera wow. and they just did it one t- they did it one time that's what I'm saying they could only do it once wow yeah and then they're fighting in the water there's fucking electricity sparking everywhere yeah I love that it's hand animated it's not yeah. electricity but it's fucking great and then the part of the sign that's still standing begins to fall and you can see the wires pulling it. You can yeah. see that there's yeah. meant to be they're meant to be like support wires, but they're clearly just pulling that part of the sign down. <laughs> um, Brenda is still on the fucking sign. Yeah, um, there's no way she survives this. But like, I also well, love she, that she does. ends up hanging over the side of the building and climbs back on her own because McLeod and the Kurgan are still just fucking at yeah. each other because they're paying no attention. Clearly, it's just chaos. They're paying no attention yeah. to what's happening. I love it's this. It's so wild. I, I love this because when she fell, I was like, right, all right, fight's about to wrap up mm. because he's got to rush he's and to, save her from try, the side of the he building. He doesn't even try to save her. does she, not try. She saves herself. She pulls herself up. How does she get unhandcuffed? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know about that. I but more what I do love is she gets up and climbs along the side of the building because the water's electrified. Yes. I fucking love it. Everything just has a spatial texture to it. It's you know th- what I mean? It's thought out. Yeah. I like spatial texture. I'm going to use that. <laughs> <laughs> they crash through a skylight into an empty space with massive windows. See again, another It's the Tekken. Yeah, another Tekken part where there's a physical aspect to this set. Yeah. There's water flooded up to the level of this skylight. Where are they going to go? Through the skylight. Yeah. Um so they refer to this sequence as the blue room sequence cuz it's bl- lit blue. And also I love they're dry by the way. Yeah, I love them. <laughs> well, as they fall, you can see their wires. You can just see the rings. Oh, so much so. So much so. I love the look of this space. Uh, there's giant, um, so good. There's massive windows. They land. Yeah, they're dry. They keep fighting. Brenda's in the room 
Yeah, I was about to say that when I was talking before. How did she get into the room? She didn't fall with them. She uses the magic of the pipe. She climbed down the outside of the building. The movie, the movie just hand waves over the top yeah. of it. And it took me having seen this movie dozens of times before it ever went, before my brain ever went, wait a second. <laughs> the funny thing is, though, they do that thing in movies where it's like enough time has passed that we can feel like she made a logical way there. It's not. It's actually not. They cut from her, they cut from them falling to her trying to get out of the room through a door. What? Yes. And then turning around and looking at them. I thought... I, uh, There's no time. I thought it was them falling, them fighting, then she comes in with the pipe. That's after this. <laughs> <laughs> yes. McLeod loses his sword and Brenda gives him a pipe. Again. Or hits the, the pipe. Cur- hits the Kurgan with a pipe to get his attention. Inanimate carbon rod. Yeah. We believe in rod. It gives McLeod time to grab his sword and stop the Kur- Kurgan's broadsword just before it's about to hit her in the face. Uh, he's got that line. He quips, what kept you? What kept you? What someone? kept you? <laughs> yeah. And then we get a nut, we get a, like a kind of series of massive crane shots again as well, like sweeping yeah, really low to the floor. Yeah, it was really great. Again, using the limit. And she's crane. disappeared again, I'm pretty sure, from this sequence. She's kind of just off to the side at, the, yeah. at this point. Yeah, yeah she's um, kind of watching the, the excitement. Yeah. yeah, and we get to see him actually doing good sword fighting. Most of this fight is actually them. There's not a lot of, yeah. du- there is some double work. There's not a lot because this was done at the end of the shoot where they had had time to prepare and rehearse this fight mm. well enough that they could do large sections of it in single takes. This, it felt better. This is, yeah. this is the best fight. And that's that what I'm talking get. about in terms of like before where it's like, it has to be looser because there's no time to prep yeah. for the fight. Right. So the, the banging, just banging swords against each other. It happens earlier in the, in the movie. This, this feels it, like this it's choreographed. Yeah. You know what I mean? And well, I won't say that after what we've said it, this feels a little bit more intentional. Yeah. McLeod is the better swordsman. Uh, and eventually, and also the music just switches to like victorious music yeah. before he's <laughs> even won the fight. And it's just because they want the audience to get to know lift. It's, it's just yeah. lift with it. Yeah. He starts to slice at the Kurgan kind of taking cuts out of him and the Kurgan's eyes turn black with rage. I noticed he has focusing con- he has on contacts, the, the uh, contacts eyes, on. but I yeah. just assumed maybe his eyes were always black. I didn't notice. Nope. And then McLeod takes off the Kurgan's head, which flips off like a Pez dispenser. <laughs> his Great. smile. Yeah. When he goes and back. And he reaches. Oh, it's yeah. so good. He's such a scary man. Uh, and then blue energy begins to flow out of him. Yeah, what the fuck is happening? M- McLeod, oh, well, yeah. What the went. fuck is happening? <laughs> well, McLeod wins the prize. He oh. gets the prize. Is the, pl- is the prize like demon possession? Seems that way. There can be, <laughs> there can be only one. Boom, the windows blow out. Yep. It's fucking triple cut. They do, it's so avant-garde. They cut like <laughs> one, they, they flip a shot um, with like optically composited glass over the top of it. Um, he's lifted in the air as animated energy swirls around him. And yeah, fucking demons from, that look like they were drawn in a Metal Kid's homework book in yeah. 1986. Like they look like the kind of drawings that a kid would do in the if he was into the, Satan and D and D. Yeah, the kid, I, the kid from the gate. The kid from the yeah. gate. Yeah, Terry. I fully thought Terry like, drawn. oh, he's about to it's like, like fight a possession because he's going. His... I know everything. Yeah, well, there's a he screams. I feel everything. I know everything. I am everything. You also you can just see the wires holding. Yeah, it. so yeah. much like it's it's almost distracting. On, no. the, com- on the commentary, Malka, he is kind of almost embarrassed by how <laughs> the, wire, the wires are. He talks about how now with CGI, you just remove them. Yeah, and they also try to like cover them with lightning. 
So there's two like pieces of lightning that go to his hips yeah. and up into the sky. Yeah. They're almost <laughs> always there. Yeah. Guys, what do we feel is the gift? The prize? Yes. Well, they talk about it in the next in the next Yeah, scene. but do they? Yeah, we'll talk about it. It's vague. Yeah. It's left vague on purpose because they don't really know, but it's fine. We get a music video recursive zoom through his eyes where he just sees himself over and over and over again. And it ends with a dummy head of his that looks vaguely like him that explodes. Okay. Like his mind is blown. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Mind is blown by all the information in the yep. universe. Oh, yep, yep. And then yeah, it's over. Okay. He collapses to the ground. Brenda runs to him. And there is only one. Oh, fucking gold. Until it hits home video and they decide to make more sequels. And then we cut to Scotland. It's our first time that we've been in Scotland in the Monday. And we know it's a Monday because a fighter jet flies over. Yeah, that was interesting. But also we also get the line of, so this is where it all started, eh? Yeah, yeah. Kind of, but not really. There were people who were fighting this fight thousands of years before him. He explains the prize. He's tapped into the energy and thoughts of the entire human race now. It's like a whirlwind in my head. But if I concentrate, I know what people are thinking all over the world. Presidents, diplomats, scientists. I can help them understand each other. What am I thinking? You're thinking whether or not you can love me. You can. I'm just like you. I can love and have children, live and grow old. You never prepared me for that, you Spanish peacock. Which, like, goes to uh, s- the sense with the deer thing and yeah. he can, like, feel them so and that. He can hear people's thoughts and he can understand them and help them understand each other. But what the fuck's the point of that? Because he's model now? Yeah. yeah. Is he meant to now, like, be a politician? He's meant Basically. to. Basically. I think he's meant to, like, <laughs> unite humanity. Before right? he dies. Before he's he dies. Also, he's on a clock now. Yeah, is he meant to be Jesus? But he can also have children. He can he can love her. She can love him. They can have children. They can have a life life together. He can have the thing. The is real still the super real strong? prize. The real prize is the love that we're not leaving behind. Okay. What I want to know is... Kira's looking at me like, what the fuck? Yeah, it would work way better if it was Heather. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it can't be Heather because she's, that's the point. But, yeah, but but the idea is that now he can have the thing that he had to give up. He says yeah. that he can grow old and have children. Yep. So does that still mean he can't die by be- being like murdered? No, he does can he die. still he's, have the strength? He says he's mortal now. He just has this psychic connection to the universe that allows him to know what everybody's thinking and feeling. So his prize was a fucking shit ton of effort after living for thousands of years. Well, yeah, he's been a thousand years, a thousand, about a thousand, yeah. less than a thousand. Sounds sick. Leave me out next time. Yeah. He psychically speaks to Ramirez who force ghosts him. That's yeah. what I was wondering. I was like, are they actually talking or is this? I don't know. I, I don't know. And then we see a montage of McLeod's life, which is actually kind of like beautiful. Like the, mm. the, again, this like, her, him and Brenda, whatever, right? But the idea that he can have love now is beautiful, and we she get this. To find a better choice. I know, like, right? Mm. It's okay. He's he. Well, he doesn't have time now. We get this kind of montage, like a best of the movie, yeah. you know. And it's really, it's really great. They kiss, and roll credits. That is the end of Highlander. What if Kruger would have won? Would that be his prize? I I think he would have been disappointed. Yeah, (laughs) I think quite a lot of the other immortals would have been disappointed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. poor uh, justice for Kruger. 
The Kurgan. The Kurgan. An appropriate age to have seen Highlander. There can be only one. Age yep. that is appropriate. And in honor of that, one. Typical Brody. Twelve. Yeah. There are boobs. There are. It's there is, quick. there like, is a boob. I don't think that that's the reason that you lift the age necessarily. No, it's no, more no. Just, but yeah. there's, there's beheadings. It is rated M15 in Australia, yeah, which would make it a R in the United States, yeah. I would think. There's beheadings and there's violence, and I think that you would struggle to follow the storyline younger. Yeah, and like there's you actually might enjoy the quite fighting, like, but it's sort of I think it'd be too complicated for anybody younger. Mm-hmm. And there's quite a bit of, although not gory, but visceral physical violence, like headbutts, glass being smashed on people, not things if you're like that. The American version, stabbed <laughs> and then being picked up with a sword. So I guess, I guess, yeah, 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 you're probably on the money there. I. Th- Think this is a guess. I think I was probably about six or seven when I saw when I saw this movie for the first time. Yeah, you could also get down with it when you're a real little yeah. kid because that other definitely stuff goes and, over your head. And this is probably this is definitely a tape that we rented a few times. Like we we would have pulled this movie out again when the sequels when the sequels came out. Mm. It also would have been a little easier for you because you would have been watching it with your dad. Who, if you were confused by this plot at any point, he could be like, "Oh, also, this like, is what's happening." Sword fights and it looks cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Would you watch this movie again of your own free will? Hundo P. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to watch it again just to see the things that I missed that you guys were talking about. Damn straight. I revisited this movie last year and I watched it twice in the span of like three weeks because I had such a good time. Dude, I'm so fucking keen to watch the sequels. I don't care how bad they are. (laughs) (laughs) Rating for Highlander. The way that we rate movies is on a five-star scale with one being I hated this movie, two being I didn't like this movie, two and a half being... I enjoyed parts of this movie. This movie was fine. Three being I like this movie. Four being I love this movie. Five being this is one of my favorite movies of all time. I got it. Go Solid four. Cool. Solid four. Good for you, I, I think I loved Rapid Fire more, and I think it has a standard that I'm more used to. Mm-hmm. And although I really loved this movie. And to be clear, you had thought you'd seen pieces of this movie, but you had not actually seen this movie? I actually... So much of this movie I actually knew and have right. seen, but watching it properly through and not just like watching random like Facebook clips or like clips yeah, right. out of other things that are referencing other, it. Yeah, right. I had no idea about this movie. Yeah, right. No so, idea. Uh, what we figured out with Kira was that I had shown her the wrestling sequence because of the camera move and yeah. she was into wrestling and she had seen bits and pieces, but she also thought that it was a different movie. She thought it was closer to Braveheart. Yeah. I'm going to... You're going to get mad at me, though. Okay. No, I'm not. I won't. I will never get mad at you. 2.5. Whoa. What's that? What's 2.5? Uh, I like parts so this movie. It was fine. Whoa. Okay. I had way more fun than you. <laughs> it seemed like had, you were having a good time. I had a good time. I just, eh. Okay. <laughs> Can no, you, you dig need deeper to into that? that? <laughs> yeah, no, you, gotta, you can't just give us net. Is it because you didn't connect with Connor? Like you like some of the ideas and you like some of the sequences, but you didn't really connect with him? Yeah, I think so. And it just kind of, it was all right. Like there was bits that I liked, but I wouldn't say. Did I, you go I, I into gave, this with the excitement of knowing that this is such a big part of nerd culture? 
No. See, I, I went into it with a high level of excitement. I, I think that maybe I knew that it was a movie that people had seen and that I've seen the tape of on Instagram. I was more excited about it once I realised it wasn't like Braveheart. Not that I have a problem with Braveheart, but I thought it was going to be more like Braveheart. You thought it was going to be like a more dry historical drama thing yeah. that, that you were then going to have to figure out what you wanted to talk about. Did you think yeah. it was Outlander? I was like, you know, pleased when it wasn't that. And there was parts of it that I liked. But I know that I've given stuff threes that I liked better than this and there isn't a grade between 2.5 and 3. Absolutely, completely fair if that's, yeah. how, that's how I feel about it. Never be mad at you about your rating, <laughs> rating movie. That's how I, feel about I will definitely get mad if I'm upset about a movie yeah. that you rate <laughs> too low. But the, I mean, I get mad when Brody doesn't like movies, but that's because <laughs> Brody's an idiot that doesn't pay attention. And you're my wife. I know you were paying attention. I did pay attention and yeah. I did like parts of it. I just yeah. don't think that I liked it as much as I've liked other things. So. I don't pay attention. I just pay attention to different parts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shut up. What's yours? That's a five. Yeah. Five. Yeah. See, this it is why I feel it. bad giving my... it a 2.5. No, I should please... give it a three. No, it's fine. Uh, it's a it five It deserves it. It I just... really does deserve so, it. So Russell Mulcahy is, if you ask me my top three Australian directors of all time, he's in the top three and depending on any given day, he could be the, could be the number one. I just love how stylized he does things. I love the the everything that I've ranted about, yeah. I'm not going to repeat myself, but everything that I've talked about is just so my jam that I just love this movie. I, I honestly I fell back in love with this movie. I think I liked movie. all of the things that you liked about this movie. I just didn't like the movie as a whole. Almost. Yeah, and that's fair. I'm willing to forgive all the stuff that doesn't work because the stuff, the ideas are fantastic, right? And the, and the way it's shot is fantastic. And that's the thing that, that, is the thing that appeals to me. Guys, yeah. now I'm so worrying that because I'm rating this movie against Rapid Fire and Rapid Fire had a fucking really good time with. Now I'm worried that I should have given Rapid Fire a five and maybe oh, nothing no, will get what a five. Gonna, what are you going to do? It's too late. But do you think Do you think anything will be? As I said, to, I think I said this when we first started rating movies is I guarantee you that the way that you feel about movies will change adjusted to how you feel about other, other movies. It's mm. hard. It's a hard thing to do. It's not a simple, not a simple thing to do. Something's going to have to knock it out of the park to get five for me. Fair enough. Yeah. For next week. The way that we pick movies is that Kira and Brody alternate taking turns on a list of choices that I've prepared for them from the store. This week is Kira's pick as Brody picks Highlander. If a movie remains unpicked three times, it's struck out and taken off the list, although it can come back at a later date of my choosing. Still on the list from last week are the Toxic Avenger with two strikes and Michael Dudikoff in American Ninja with one strike. And... They're both going to stay on the list until next week because, Kira, you're not picking from those movies this week. Oh. What? Next week is going to be sequel week. What? Are we doing the quickening? You will both be choosing from all of the sequels I own to movies that we have already watched on this podcast. (gasps) What? By taking turns choosing what you don't want to watch until there is only one. Oh, yes. Are we doing that now? Yes. <laughs> Holy shit. On the list this week are Future Cop 2. Kira, you don't need to write them down. They're just over here. <laughs> oh, my God. I was about to start, like, whisper, debating <laughs> with you, like, can I buy a week off you? <laughs> <laughs> Holy Amazing. shit. Amazing. Does this mean I'm li- I lose a choice? No. Okay. So no, you will, can- you will keep your, tro- keep your choice. It's two weeks? Kind of. Fuck. We make this choice together and then I'll get the week yes. after. Right. So you, okay. get, you get deciding. Both so right. on yeah. the list this week are Future Cop 
2, The Two Faces of Death. Oh. Iron Eagle 2. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Best of the Best 2. Oh, fuck. Oh, no. Oh, my God. The Gate 2. Ooh. Mm, mm. And Spicy. Highlander 2, The Quickening. Oh, <laughs> fuck. You're not going to pick it. This is how we're going to do this. Look at how jacked he is. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So what's going to happen is that you're going to take turns picking what you taking one off the list until there's one left. Brody is going to pick the first one that go, gets taken off the list because that will give you the last choice as to what is on the list. Okay. Right? That's why I'm doing it this way. So, Brody, you need to take a movie off the list. I don't know whether to game it and be like, I'm going to take the one off that Kira will most likely want or if I take the one off that I don't want the most. Which one do you want? I'm not telling you. Which one are you leaning towards? I'm not telling you. Just like, just no, like, I'm give just me not a little, telling you. Give me a little. Brody, I am going to put a clock on you. Okay. Uh, oh, ah, I'm so indecisive. All right. No, no strategy. The gate two is out. Gate 2 is off the list. Leaving on the list, Best of the Best 2, Highlander 2, Iron Eagle 2, and Future Cop 2. Highlander 2 is out. Damn it! What? I should have oh, been more strategic. That one hurts me. Yeah, that one I really want to, I so want to talk about oh, that. <laughs> Highlander 2, literally, it's just want, a movie, a movie that go, was produced by cocaine. I don't want to go <laughs> Highlander, Highlander 2. Okay, that's fair. I Bro, do. Don't look at it. Fuck. It's, oh, it's off the list. It'll come back later. It's going to come back. Oh, did I just see another person? Don't. Do it. There's another Starship Troopers person. Ugh. Okay. Um, mm, leaving fuck. leaving on list. Best of the best two. Iron Eagle two. Future Cop two. Does this have the original kid in it? I can't tell. No, I don't think so. It just has, it has Chappie. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, make a choice, Brody. Make a choice. Best of the best two is gone. Ooh. Leaving on the list, Iron Eagle 2 and Future Cup 2, leaving Kira to make the final choice. Just look at the back of that one. Look at the back of that one. <laughs> Come on, Kira. <laughs> the two faces of death. Future Cup 2, the face, the two faces of death. Is that what we're keeping? You're taking that off the list? No, we're watching it. Yes, Kira. <laughs> so we will be watching Future yes. Cup 2, Two Faces of Death. Brody, can you do you do the thing for this <clears throat> as opposed to all of the covers? Future Cup 2, the two faces of death. Time waits for no man unless his name is Jack Death. <laughs> That's fantastic. Time. I love, Brody, that you in this episode were like, oh, we have, when are we going to watch some sequels? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Talk about setup and payoff, motherfucker. Were you sure you were going to do this? Because I see Sky Pirates over there. I set you up. <laughs> oh. I can't. You have Sky Pirates? You know how this, you know how Kira, you know how, yeah, you know that I've got Sky Pirates. You know how Kira this morning when you were like, oh, you should take your motorcycle? And I was like, oh, should we really go separately? <laughs> I always knew that I wanted to go separately. I was just glad that you suggested it because I was able to sneak those tapes in here. <laughs> Fuck. I'm so <laughs> glad we got this one. I'm I'm upset that we didn't go Highlander 2, but I'm so glad you chose this one. This one, you know what? It even fits our aesthetic because it's got the it's got the rare uh highlighter pink does, colour does. to the tape. I oh, love that's it. fantastic. It's gonna be a good time. It is in fact gonna be a good time. 
So join us next week to watch Future Cop 2. Uh, you can find us on all the social media. At Weird Kid Video. Don't like, don't subscribe. Please Make leave us a review. Uh, <laughs> Have a look at yourself. Don't send Brody spoilers for Highlander 2 The Quickening. Please don't. <laughs> That was a fun game. You enjoyed that. Oh, it's glad a good time. I pulled a swerve. We should do we should do bracketeering at some point with movie choices. So do I still get to choose next on the next normal <laughs> yes, three? You do. Yes, you, you do. do. Okay. okay, cool. You do. So you kind of get to do two picks in a row. But yep. there's gonna be other times that it's the other way. Other games that I play with you children. <laughs> it's a good time. And scene? Scene. in disguise.